I love Jesus. I love Jesus so much. I just, I'm so excited when he shows me stuff. I spend my week, sometimes I have a sense from one week to the next what he wants me to talk about, and most weeks I have no idea until later in the week, and it, it typically will come out of my prayer time and my study time, uh, the message that he wants to speak. And this week, uh, we had Pastor Burke last week. By the way, uh, I'm sure you did it because you wanted to, but it was such a blessing for you to honor Pastor Burke the way you did last week when um, when you're an 80, what did he say, four-year-old preacher without a pulpit, to have people respond, and when you invite people to come down and get prayed for, when every chair gets empty and every single person comes out, um, I don't know what God gave you from him, but I guarantee you the honor that you showed him by doing that was just, it was sweet. So, Uh, My last go, before Pastor Burke, we talked about roles. It was Father's Day and how God's created this system of uh, what our roles are supposed to look like as a father, as a mother, as a son or a daughter, a brother or a sister, as the church in the world. It's all laid out in the book. As a matter of fact, what he's showing me is that the whole entire book is about relationships. It's it's 100% about relationships. Now, in the detail about how relationships work and how he wants things to be. There's a lot of information that might not word for word be specific, but it starts off with God creates man and there's relationship. And then it goes to man sins against God and messes up relationship. And then God creates this covenant with this guy Abraham to begin to have relationship. But Men, again, don't walk in the covenant the way it should be. So he has the law, and, and, and he can have a certain amount of relationship. And then when it's the right time, he sends Jesus. And in that process, he restores greater opportunity for relationship. And then once Jesus came, the whole darn New Testament seems to me like it's all about relationships. Matter of fact, we're going to talk about Ephesians chapter 6 a bit today. And as I was reading, because I felt like I'm just all over the place, It was a little tricky for me to find a thread that went from the beginning to the end to feel like it really was one message and not just my rambling uh, ADD kind of mind. And so about, I don't know how many hours into multiple days of of pondering and praying uh, and having a pretty certain uh, sense that Ephesians, the the armor of God part of Ephesians chapter 6 was supposed to be in there, I thought, Maybe I should go back and see if, if it, in context, has anything to do with relationships. And I opened my Bible to Ephesians chapter 6, and my Bible has little headings, you know, in different parts. And the words in the heading for Ephesians chapter 6 says family relationships. I'm like, well, there's a good sign. The heading before that says marriage like Christ in the church. Well, marriage is nothing if not a relationship. And as I looked at it, chapter 4, 5, and 6 are literally three focused relationship chapters. So that made me feel pretty good. Um, Last week, Pastor Burke talked about full gospel, but he didn't take much time to describe what full gospel means. And my best understanding is that we get these um, gifts from the Holy Spirit, charis, C-H-A-R-I-S, in the Greek. And when we walk and seek all of the gifts, which would be the charisma. You've heard of charismatic churches? If anybody ever asks you if you're a charismatic church, you tell them, that's our hope. 
will be absolutely 100% charismatic because what that implies is all of the gifts of the Spirit are operating in our fellowship and anything that God has for us as a church that's not operating is a place where we're weak and, and we need to be strengthened. So we're a little bit handicapped. So that's what full gospel is. When I thought about Pastor Burke's message um, during the course of this past week, there's one thing that he said that kept resonating in my heart, and he said that the reason for full gospel is because people are hurting. And I really believe that that's true. So as I was trying to figure out, what is it, Lord, you want me to talk about today, I was reading in James chapter 1, and I thought, wow, you know, I really had a sense, maybe what you want to do is you want to talk about Scripture. Let's just take a chapter of Scripture, and let's read it a little bit at a time, and let's dig in and see what it means. And I, I thought that was what he wanted. And then I started thinking to myself, well, maybe it's just James chapter 1 because I'm here. Maybe it's a different chapter 1. And I thought of First John. I thought, yeah, that would be a great place to go. So I started reading chapter 1 of First John. And that's when the message started to resonate uh, in my heart. If you read John chapter 1, and I'm going to break it into verse... Well, I'm only going to stop, go through verse 7, but uh, verse 1 through 4 and then 5 through 7. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested, and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. Other translations say your joy, which that's interesting to me. That's a pretty significant difference, but so that joy may be made complete. So when I first started reading this, I thought, well, this is another one of those deals where they're dealing with false teachers and these guys that are coming for wrong reasons and messing up the the church. Um, And Paul, or Paul, excuse me, John is trying to establish his credibility. You know, I was with him in the beginning. I touched him. I heard him. I felt him. I saw him, listen to me, not them, because I was there, you know, ask them for their resume. They weren't, listen to me. We'll talk about this some more later, but uh, I don't think that's maybe a little bit of what he's trying to say, but I don't think that's where he was headed. So that in verse 5, it says, This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. When you read your Bible, the the person that um, leads you into the truth of the Word of God is the person of the Holy Spirit. He's not... um, well, he's a person. Let's just leave it there. That's not what we're to talk about today. But it's the Holy Spirit that leads you. And I'm learning more and more that... When he speaks, he speaks in my thoughts. And I have to learn to test my thoughts. We'll talk about that a little bit more in a minute. But as he speaks, it's, it's that still, quiet voice. I always was waiting to hear a different voice, the voice that sounded like God. I'm not sure I knew what that sounded like, but it didn't sound like my thoughts. But I think when he speaks to us, oftentimes it's in a thought. So as I'm reading this, and I'm learning to just read and ponder, read and ponder, read. I used to read to read because I was trying to get through it because that's what I thought I was supposed to do. And now God's leading me into this place where I can just spend two hours on seven verses 
and listen and ponder. And the, the thing that started to come into my thoughts was the word fellowship. So I looked up fellowship because it's actually in here a number of times in those first seven verses. The Greek word for fellowship, I, I believe the pronunciation in the, the transliteration is koinonia, K-O-I-N-O-N-I-A, koinonia. It's actually pronounced E-A, not I-A at the end. And when we think of fellowship, right, the f- fellowshipping together, hey, we should get together in fellowship, the, in, the word that comes to my mind if I was looking for a synonym would be hanging out. We would hang out together, you know, Christian brothers and sisters hanging out. And that's fellowship, it really is. But when you look into the Greek word and you see the meaning of the original writer, when John said koinonia, that you would have koinonia with him, excuse me, that if you would walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have koinonia with one another, and the blood of Jesus' his Son cleanses us from all sin. It's a much deeper sense of relationship. It means, uh, or other ways it's translated are community, communion, uh, joint participation. If you've heard a lot of the, like the Bill Johnson teaching about um, co-laboring with the Lord, and even the word intercourse is translated from koinonia. So it, it implies a, a, a sense of relationship that's much deeper than how we are when we hang out. Okay? Koinonia. So I'm, I'm reading the scriptures. I'm starting to get a sense for where the Lord's taken me. It's, it's funny. I didn't have much sense yet. And I keep thinking about full gospel, full gospel, Pastor Burke, full gospel. Why full gospel? People are hurting. And I, I thought, well, Lord, why are people hurting? And immediately in my mind, what I heard him say was other people. I mean, we could fall off our bike and, you know, and we could break our wrist or scrape our arm or our knee or get in a car accident and have to go to the hospital and be physically hurting. But the hurting that I think, and, and by the way, Jesus paid for our hurting there too, right? I mean, we can pray for sickness and disease and, and, and God will heal physically. But the hurting that I think was in Pastor Burke's word and the thing that's been stirring in my spirit all week is people hurting people. And um, oftentimes when we're hurt, it's not even a hurt. You know, I don't know how to explain it. Um, Becca's mom had this disorder where she would sense incredible pain that wasn't there, you know? like um, some kind of, I don't know, nervous disorder or something. And she would literally have to take, um, I think, morphine to deaden the pain in her brain for the thing that wasn't actually, you know, like she felt like she had a terrible gash or a broken arm, but there was nothing wrong. Sometimes when we feel pain from another person, they didn't intend to hurt us. It, it might be because of just our perception or because something they said tweaked a sensitive place in us. Uh, but sometimes it literally is because people hurt people. And typically the people that hurt the most people are people that are hurting themselves. If you go now to Ephesians chapter 6 with this, you'll, and you're going to have to track with me because I think all this belongs, but it's like 10 sermons all together, and it's, it's in a bunch of different places in the Bible, and hopefully I'll be able to pull it together for you at the end. We go to Ephesians chapter 6, and we find out about who it is that's really our enemy, and it's not each other. So Paul says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. 
For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith which with, you will, with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So there's just a few keys in here that I want to touch on quickly. First, we find our strength in verse 10. Strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. So as we go into situations, our own strength is not what we rely on. It's His strength and the strength of His might. Second, that we don't fight against each other. Our battle is not in the flesh. You've probably, if you've been in church for any length of time, you've heard that a thousand times, but it's always not so easy in the middle of conflict to recognize that your battle is not in the flesh. Your battle is with the influence on that flesh, which is the uh, schemes of the devil, the rulers, the powers, the world forces of darkness against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. We have to understand that spirit world is real. It's not fairy tale. It's not um, um, movie fodder. It's real. There are spirits in this room right now. There are heavenly spirits, and there's likely not heavenly spirits that are in this room right now. And, the, and they have opposite purposes for our lives, for God. So our battle is not against each other. It's against these, these forces that would try to influence us to a place where we wouldn't have koinonia. It also shows us about the implements of our battle, a breastplate of righteousness, a shield of faith, uh, a helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Paul touches on the same topic in a different, from a little different angle in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, um, starting in verse 3. For we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So in the, first, uh, in the Ephesians set of verses, he talks about that who the enemy is. We, he talks about where our strength should come from. And he gives us a really good picture of what our implements of war are. In the second uh, set of verses, he talks a little bit again about who the enemy is and who the enemy is not. But he talks about the effects of the enemy on us individually. These things that, that he calls um, fortresses, or your, your Bible might say strongholds, um, speculations, lofty things that are raised up against the knowledge of God. Uh, during the whole conversation around fear of the Lord, uh, I saw over and over and over again, it's interesting, especially with Paul, he prays that we would have a knowledge of God. And, and he talks about these things coming against the knowledge of God. So in the Second Corinthians scriptures, the things that I think he's trying to point out are the effects of this spirit, the scheme of the devil, is in your mind. The battle is all between your ears. It's absolutely between your ears. And the way you go is based upon who you come into agreement with. The Lord can suggest a thought into your mind. You agree with it or don't you? 
The enemy can suggest a thought in your mind. Do you come into agreement with it or don't you? That is how he takes us out of fellowship, out of koinonia. Not only with each other, but also with the Lord by suggesting these thoughts into our minds. Um, And then he tells us a little bit more about how we deal with it by taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. You can't know if a thought is obedient, is standing obedient or disobedient to Christ if you don't know Christ. So the, the person who's not born again, who's not regenerated, who doesn't have the mind of Christ is absolutely... That's why the scripture says that, that it's all foolishness to them because you can't discern spiritual things without the spirit and their spirit is dead to God. So you have to know Christ if you're going to test thoughts to see if they'll stand obedient to him or that they won't. You find out that in God's word. You find out that in prayer. And as, as the, the things that you pray, you test them against God's word. That's how you know if a thought is going to be willing or is able to stand obedient to Christ. So the enemy is not each other. Although oftentimes when, when we get hurt, whether it's a perceived hurt or it was a real attack, we want to focus our attention at the person. And, and when we do that, we create more problems because we're, we're dealing with the symptom and not the root. So the enemy is Satan. He's not your brother. Even sometimes when your brother or your sister acts like the enemy, they're not the enemy. God says, don't return evil for evil. There's a reason for that. Um, and the objective, or his objective, Satan's evil objective, is to keep or remove you from fellowship with God and other Christians. So let's go back to Ephesians chapter 6 again and talk about flaming arrows. In addition to all, take up the shield of faith, which with you with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil ones. Evil one, or ones, I guess. They, they ultimately emanate from Satan, but he has these demonic forces that he can use against us. The flaming arrow, I believe, is a thought. So when he shoots a flaming arrow at you, it's a thought. And, and it comes to attack you in your mind. And I think we, we can see an example of that probably many times, but it, for sure one in Scripture in Matthew 16. This is right after Jesus says, well, who do the people say I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ. And he says, that's right. And, th- and that came to you from my Father. You didn't learn that from a man. And then just very next set of Scripture, Peter took him, Jesus aside, and began to rebuke him, saying, God forget, forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. So Jesus is saying what's going to happen to him. And Peter is saying, no, this shouldn't happen to you. And Jesus' response is, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. So Peter said the words, but Jesus addressed Satan because he knew that the words that came out of Peter's mouth were planted in Peter's mind as a thought from Satan. So he didn't address Peter, even though Peter was the manifestation of the problem. He addressed Satan because Satan was the root of the problem. And that's the thing that we have to be conscious of. Um, Flaming arrows, their thoughts. Um, Then you think about the shield of faith. It was interesting to me. I thought, well, I have a shield of faith and I have pretty good faith and um, I get thoughts all the time. Thoughts that I know didn't come from heaven. So I'm questioning my, I'm thinking my shield is, is kind of like a, a, a fence, you know, because lots of flaming arrows are getting through my shield and they're landing in my mind. 
And I said, Lord, it just doesn't make sense to me that a shield, if I hold up my shield of faith, why are the flaming arrows getting into my mind? And then I just, I had this sense that he said, read the verse. And before I went to flip to the verse, it came to me in my mind that the the shield of faith extinguishes the flaming arrows. It doesn't say that it blocks the flaming arrows. It says that it extinguishes them. So when a thought comes into your mind and you hold your shield of faith up, if your faith is strong in that area that he's attacking your thought life, then your faith will extinguish the arrow. But if your faith is weak in that area, what will happen is that arrow will catch your mind into a flame. If you've ever had the situation where something that you really, it doesn't feel good to you, but you cannot get it out of your mind, and you know that there's poison in your thoughts, but you just chew on them and chew on them and chew on them, the shield of faith did not extinguish that arrow and it was able to start a fire in your head. Thanks. Amen. (laughs) Um, So the the purpose of the shield of faith is to extinguish the flaming arrows. I talked a little bit about strong faith and weak faith, and we're doing all this in the context of relationships, horizontal relationships with each other and a vertical relationship with the Father. There are areas of all of our faith that's strong. There's places where Satan could take a fiery, I don't know what, cannonball and fire it at my mind, and my shield of faith would knock it down in a second. It wouldn't, it wouldn't find any kindling to start a fire in my mind. There's other parts of me that are not healed yet, that are not renewed in my mind, that those things get in there, and if the Holy Spirit is not shaking me, I will chew on them until I finally realize that that is not, that thought will not stand obedient to Christ. And then I have to really fight to cast that thing down. So I got to thinking about how does he attack, not just us for the purpose of relationship, but I think he attacks us for the purpose of breaking relationship with ourselves. I don't know if I can have a relationship with myself, but I know that I can certainly not be easy on myself really be harsh towards myself. And I started to think about, um, we tend to want to define ourselves. And and oftentimes we define ourselves by comparing ourselves with other people. Well, you know, sister so-and-so, man, she is the most godly woman in the world. There is not a bad thought that's ever in that lady's mind. And if I could just be like her, then, you know, Jesus would be really happy with me. But you don't see what goes on in sister so-and-so's mind. So the, the devil is trying to begin this process of breaking relationship by defining our identity in some way other than the way the Word would teach us who we are. So we kind of get to this place of good thoughts equal good me, bad thoughts equal bad me, and in that we end up always in churn because there's going to be good thoughts and there's going to be bad thoughts. And we're trying to figure out, am I okay? Am I not okay? Do I need to do this? Do I need to do that? Do I need to repent? What's wrong with me? And I really believe that we're trying to define ourselves in the wrong way. How do you know which ones are mine and which ones aren't? How do I properly measure myself? So maybe, rather than measuring yourself by the thoughts that are in your head, if you believe that you're born again, you have the Spirit of God residing inside of you, you are His temple. If you believe that the flaming arrows that Paul talks about in Ephesians are really thoughts, and you can see in Scripture where evil can plant thoughts in people's minds, then maybe the way you measure yourself isn't by the thoughts that are in your head. It's by the way you respond to the thoughts that get into your head. And truly the measure of who you are is how you respond, not by the fact that you had a thought or you didn't have a thought.
to the degree which we are renewed in our minds and submitted to the Lord, which maybe that's, what's the word when you said the same thing twice? It's that. You know, maybe that's really the same thing twice. That's the degree to how you should measure yourself if you're going to measure yourself at all. And when you see progress, then you should say that's, that's the game. The game is to get from here to here, from glory to glory, from glory to glory to glory to glory. When you look in the mirror, more and more and more a reflection of Christ. You have his mind, the spirit's in your heart, but those hurt places are still there. Those insecure places are still there. And I don't know how he knows. Maybe it's just by watching how we act and how we react. The devil knows where to shoot the flaming arrows, and we have to capture them, make them stand obedient to Christ. So now we go to Romans 12, 2. Romans 12, 2 says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Is the renewed mind... Let me just... You guys are going to get to see my walk a lot, I think, in, in my speaking here. I pray and pray and pray for a renewed mind. And, and I thought that my goal was a mind that was different to the place where I would never have a bad thought. I wouldn't have a lustful thought. I wouldn't have a prideful thought. I wouldn't have a selfish thought because my mind would be renewed and those thoughts just wouldn't live in the renewed mind. But I don't think that's the case. I think that the renewed mind is the mind that's so aware and sensitive to the will of God that the wrong thought can't take root that there's no kindling for a wrong thought. So I think the perfectly renewed mind would be one that the flaming arrows, there's no place for them to stick. There's no Because the shield of faith, because it's renewed, because you think differently, you don't have the, the mind of the world, you have the mind of the kingdom. And in the kingdom is upside down from the world. But we've all been conditioned through our parents, through our friends, through society, through the media, through every kind of influence to align ourselves with the word or the world. And now we're having to undo that as the Holy Spirit works inside of us to align ourselves with the way the kingdom thinks. And um, the thought I had along that line was, I got, uh, I don't know, $50. And, and I come across a person who says, you know, some real need for $50, but I'm on my way to put that money into my IRA because someday I'm not going to have an income and I'm going to need to have that money because I won't have food to eat or I won't have a shelter. And this guy needs it right now. Well, the worldly mind says, man, I wish I could help you. If I had 100 bucks, I could give you 50 because I have to put this 50 in my IRA because I need it to take care of me when I'm older and I don't have an income. But he needs it right now because his kids are hungry or who knows why he needs it. It would, it would have been God's will. But the kingdom mind says... Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things that you need will be added unto you. That if you would, just focus yourself on seeking the kingdom of God, that it be manifest, the righteousness of God in every action in your life, that he has all the resources that you're going to need when you're older and you don't have an income anymore. That's an example, I think, of what a renewed mind would think that way. The thought might still come, but the renewed mind would cast it down because it would be disobedient to the kingdom, to, to Jesus Christ. And I thought, well, okay, if that's true, where's an example? And I, I don't know if this is a direct example, but I thought about Jesus. Jesus had to be tempted and tested in every way that every man would ever be 
tempted or tested. So every temptation that I have had come across my path, Jesus had come across his path. Every sin that I committed or every sin that I'm yet to commit, he dealt with the, the temptation or the test that would have brought me into the sin, but he didn't go there. Well, where would you test Jesus in all those things? Where, where would you test Jesus in lust? Where would you test Jesus in pride? It has to be in his mind. Well, he couldn't have been tested if he never had the thought, right? So you'd have to believe that Jesus didn't have a renewed mind. He had a kingdom mind. And in that kingdom mind, he withstood the fiery arrows of the devil, right? He was 40 days in the wilderness without food or drink. And he was hungry. And he was then tempted by Satan. And Satan said, well, you're the Christ. Take these rocks and turn them into bread because I can hear your stomach growling. And he said, no. But don't you think for a second that he wouldn't have minded to have a bite of bread right then. He would have loved to have some bread right then. So I do think that, that the renewed mind is not the perfect mind that never has a wrong thought. I think that the completely renewed mind, or in Jesus' case, the perfect kingdom mind, was the mind that was able to test. The end of 12.2 says that you may prove what the will of God. Some say test and approve what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So as you're walking down the road of life, the narrow path that leads to the skinny gate, you're going to have all these things, all these decisions, all these thoughts, and the way that you deal with them defines the amount to which your mind is renewed. Does that make sense? Okay. So the Bible is all about relationship. It's God's will that we would have koinonia, relationship, fellowship with him and each other, intimate relationship, there's a force that's contrary to God's will. That's the evil one. The battle is with the evil one. It's not with each other. If you can see in that place where fellowship is going to be broken because somebody's done something to hurt you, if you can say, no, that's my sister, and God loves her with the perfect love, I rebuke the evil that would influence my sister or my brother to treat me this way. I love my brother. If you can have that conversation, you will be amazed at how fellowship doesn't have to be broken. If your response is a biblical response and the other person's isn't, you don't get a pass, right? You still have to respond the way the Bible says to respond. But the Bible's like a recipe. If you want to make cookies, right, and you get a recipe and it's got all this stuff. I never made cookies that weren't sliced off a tube, but somebody put the stuff in the tube, right? I said I never made cookies that weren't sliced off a tube. And if the guy that that put the cookie stuff inside the tube... Saw the thing, it said sugar, and he's like, oh, man, the sugar's way over there. It's just cookies. I'm just going to make it with the other stuff. And then I get the tube with no sugar in it, and I slice it off, and I put it in the oven. And I'm all excited because I got milk, and I got cookies, and I take a bite of that cookie, and it's just yucky. Well, it's going to be yucky because he didn't follow the recipe. If he'd have done what the recipe said, I'd have a nice cookie. But he didn't. Same true with the Bible. God says that he, the Bible says that Jesus came to bring us abundant life, his joy. Well, his joy is found in following the recipe. If, if we walk by the way the Word says to walk, then what the Word says we should have, we'll have. doesn't mean we won't ever have trials, but we'll have the ability to carry joy through the trials. Okay, that was actually a little diversion. Um, so our job in relationship is to capture thoughts, Cast down the ones that won't stand obedient to Christ. If through our free will we do this, we won't hurt people. 
and we will maintain koinonia. So now we'll go back to John chapter 1 again and read it differently. Thursday night when we were having small group, it was just men because the ladies went over, bless you ladies, to help uh, Marcy. I said, I think that what John's doing here in chapter 1 is he's establishing himself. He's saying, I'm John. I walked with Jesus. I touched him. I smelled him. I'm the one that laid his head against Jesus' chest that last night. And I read it again later in the week, and I don't think that's what he's saying. Um, What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, and the life was manifested, and we have seen and testified and proclaimed to you eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. If you look at that from the perspective of koinonia, he's saying we actually got to have this fellowship with the life, the word of life, Jesus, the Savior, the Messiah. goes on to read, What we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son Jesus. We, these things we write so that our or your joy may be made complete. So what he's saying is, these other guys are telling you stuff that's not true. I'm going to tell you stuff that is true. We, me and these other guys that would tell you the same stuff I would tell you, have fellowship with the Father and with His Son. We have koinonia with God. We have the literal ability to have relationship with God. And it's sweet. And if you'll hear what I say, you can have that too. You can have that same thing. So then he goes on and he says how you get that. He says, this is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. So the scripture that talks about that that God has no shadow of turning, like right now I have a shadow here. If that light was to move over here, I'd have a shadow here because my relationship to the light is based upon where the light is to me. God is light. He's perfect light. He couldn't cast a shadow if he had to. He stands in perfect light because he emanates perfect light. If we say that we have fellowship with God, with him, and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So when somebody says, hey, you know, man, I just uh, have a great relationship with the Lord, but their life doesn't reflect that, they're a liar. Because you can't have ultimate fellowship with God and walk in the darkness, because he only lives in the light, because he only is light. If you found a place where there's dark, he can't be there, because he only is light. John goes on to say, we say that we have fellowship with him. Oh, I read that part. We do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, We have fellowship with one another, right? If you walk in the light where there is no darkness, where love rules, where we consider others more important than ourselves, where um, we treat others how we want to be treated, where we love the Father with everything we have and our neighbor as ourselves, when we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have koinonia with each other, right? Because there's no place to break fellowship when you walk that way. If all of us would always walk that way, the church would be a phenomenally beautiful and attractive thing to the world, and people would come because our light would shine and they would see it. So as, this is where I hope I can tie this whole thing together, as 
the one who doesn't want us to have fellowship with the Father and the one who doesn't want us to have fellowship with one another, that our light would shine and be so attractive to the rest of the world, not to mention it would just be nice to live that way, as he shoots those flaming arrows into our minds, we have to take them captive and say, would that stand obedient to Jesus? Is Is there love in that thought? Is there humility in that thought? Is there servanthood in that thought? No, I won't have that thought. The thought comes into our mind. It's gentle and it's peaceful and rooted in love. That's a thought from Jesus. I need to act on that thought. Sometimes I wonder, I'm not ready to say this as as I believe it completely, but sometimes I wonder if I have any thoughts at all. If everything that is me is literally my person responding to the thoughts that either come from my new mind, which is in Christ, or this other thing that wants me to not be in Christ. So I would say then that for us to have fellowship, intimate koinonia fellowship, sideways and up, requires that we walk in the light. If we're going to walk in the light, we have to understand the light. The light is in God's word. If you don't read it, you have to. I'm telling you, you have to. If you want to have joy, you have to read the word. And the place we should start is with us, our own self, a thought that would be contrary to being a child of the king, a chosen one, the temple of the Holy Spirit, someone who is loved and should understand, and I know it's hard to understand, maybe only until we get to heaven will we know how deeply and truly and perfectly we're loved. But those are the thoughts that we have to start with because you can't love your brother as yourself if you don't love yourself. And it's not wrong to love yourself. There's a right love for yourself. That's where we start. Okay? It's funny, I'm so aware of my mannerisms. Like, I want to pull my shirt, but Teresa says, you always pull your shirt. So I don't want to pull my shirt. And and then I want to go like this, and she says, you always touch your nose. Don't touch your nose. (laughs) So I'm crippled up here. I'm paralyzed. I don't know what to do. I know I want to pray. I just want to make sure I'm not leaving anything unsaid. Lord, is there anything I haven't said? Fellowship is important. The renewed mind is important. Testing thoughts. You have to have something to test them against. Cookie with no sugar, bad cookie. Cookie with sugar, good cookie. No sugar, bad cookie. How do I know? Because I tasted a good cookie before. If I read the word, I'll know his thoughts. I'll have his mind. I'll understand. I won't be deceived because I'll live and I'll walk in the truth. I'll be in the light as he's in the light and I'll be able to have perfect fellowship. I love it. I just love it so much. Ephesians 16, 2 Corinthians 10, 1 John 1. The next part of this is abide. It's either abide or, or stumbling blocks. Abide would be more fun. Stumbling blocks is necessary. That we don't create stumbling blocks for other people. That's what Jesus said to Peter or Satan. He said, you're a stumbling block. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Lord Jesus, I thank you that Jesus paid the bill for everything that's wrong with us. Whether we're tormented, whether we're lost, whether we're sick, it's paid for. He created a pattern that we can follow that will allow us to have perfect relationship with each other and perfect relationship with you. And I believe, Lord, that if we would walk in perfect relationship with one another, 
we'll have satisfied the first commandment, which is to love you with everything that we have. So I ask, Lord, you, your, your word says that if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more would your Father in heaven give of his Holy Spirit if we would just ask? So Lord, we ask for full manifestation of your Spirit. Lord, we ask that you would expose to us these strongholds, these thought patterns, these um, speculations, any lofty thing that would be contrary to obedience to Jesus Christ. And by your grace, we'll cast them down because we can. Because we have to be subject to no sin with the power of the Holy Spirit. Give us discerning minds, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, I had one more part that I didn't put in my notes, but I want to share it with you. Oh, man. There could be a cushion on that thing. Um, um, yeah, that'll make your train of thought go sideways. Last night when Teresa and I were talking about this, it popped into my head. We're talking about relationship, right? And if I'm going to have um, relationship with Mike Ripke right here, and I'm like this, we can have a pretty good relationship. But if he's in South America and I'm in the Upper Peninsula and I don't have a cell phone, there's not going to be much relationship going on. I might know of Mike, but I'm not really going to be having relationship, koinonia with him, if we're not with each other, if there's not a presence. And walking in the light as Jesus is in the light gives us the opportunity for perfect relationship. In perfect relationship would be presence. If you wonder, where's my joy, Lord? In his presence is fullness of joy. Psalm something, I forgot. Therese looked it up for me last night. 16, and there's a scripture in Acts. As a matter of fact, if you were to just look up um, presence and joy on Blue Letter Bible, you'd find a lot of scriptures that explicitly tell us that if we can find our way into the presence of the Lord, that we will have perfect joy. How do we find our way there? We have koinonia, we have relationship. How do we get relationship? We walk in the light as he's in the light. How do we do that? We understand what it is he tells us so we can do it. All right? Okay. Thank you guys for praying. Continue to pray for Claire that every kind of spiritual wrong gets broken off her, that she can continue to grow in joy, grow in peace, um, that she'll speak, that she's just going to be the awesome little girl that God wants her to be. Pray for John's dad in the hospital that no ill effects from the stroke, that God would heal him right up. And If you need anything, call us. Uh, anybody that wants to sit down with us, and we're, I'm learning this week by week. I've never learned so much as when I had to study. You know, I, I don't study to teach, but as I study, I learn something that I can teach. It's amazing. Anybody wants to sit down and talk about God and his word, call us. We'd be happy to come see and do it, all right? If anybody needs, sorry, cookie. <laughs> anybody needs prayer, if, if you're sick in your body, anything at all, come on up and we'd be happy to pray for you, okay? All right. You guys have an awesome, great week. We love you very much. We're done.